Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Exodus chapter 33. I'll start at verse 7, but let me just take a minute to, to let you know where we are because I'm jumping ahead. I will be going back to passages I've passed over in future weeks. Moses has been up on the mountaintop for 50, 40 days and 40 nights. He did not eat or drink during that period of time. So immersed in the Shekinah glory of God, right, virtually in the presence of God, that he did not have to eat or drink during that period of time. Physically, normally, medically, he would die. But he, but he was sustained by the Shekinah glory of God. So he's had some marvelous encounters. God gave him the Ten Commandments. And then the Lord said, you better go back down for there's trouble in the camp. And, and he came down the mountain and found that his brother had crafted uh, under pressure, but had crafted an, a golden idol, uh, probably a wooden idol of a, of a, of a, of a young bull calf, and uh, that gilded it, which is the symbol of the Egyptian sun god, of all things. And then the people came and worshipped this beast and said, this is the god that brought us out of Egypt. I mean, you want to talk about blasphemy? You want to talk about spiritual mutiny? This was not some little glitch. It was a horrific mutiny against the God who'd led them out. Um, he should have just fried them all and they should have been little grease spots on the desert floor. <laughs> if I would have been God, aren't, aren't we glad? You know, it's like, I've had it. But, but not, not this God. And so Moses has come down. There's been a, there's been a, a police action. They, he couldn't quiet the camp down, so the Levites went through with their swords and killed 3,000 of their own brethren in the middle of their, you know, uh, vile revelry. There's been healing of the hearts. He's had to minister to the Levites afterwards. They're so ashamed that they've killed their own brethren. God has sent a plague that has gone through the camp. We don't have a lot of description of it, but there's a, a clear reference to it. So there's been a plague through the camp. Can you imagine Moses' heart about now? You know, it's quite a study of this man when you watch all that he went through. When I went into the book of Exodus, I was a little hesitant because I had this picture of Moses being a very legalistic, harsh kind of guy, and I thought... Oh, man, I don't know if I want to do Exodus. You know, we're going to get in there and just feel that weight of legalism. Is that what's going to happen? I mean, I've read it a bunch, but that was my impression. And now that I've gotten into it and really let, let it emerge, I'm realizing that you have a man who dearly loves the Lord and is, who's been constrained to do something that's way over his head and is doing it faithfully. And is, is a remarkable leader. And the picture we have today is the man's prayer life. We see his prayer life. And we see something of his heart. Uh, and those around him. That is very beautiful and very tender. And what I hope it does is just put today in us. A longing for more of God. 
a hunger for God in each of us. Not more religion, not more sort of righteous deeds kind of thing, but a hunger for more of God. We pick up. He, the Lord has said uh, to Moses, I am not going to go any further with you. I'm going to, I personally will remove the cloud and the fire. That's what it means will happen. The cloud and the, and the pillar of fire will go. I'll leave you an angel. The angel will keep you safe and, and will guide you and be with you. And I want you now to go on into the promised land. From where they are in Mount Sinai, Mount Sinai is actually located in northwestern uh, Saudi Arabia. It's not in the Sinai Peninsula. And Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 2 says specifically, it's an 11-day journey from Sinai to the Kadesh Barnea, which is the border of the, of the promised land. So the Lord says, has given Moses the word, go up. Go up. It's time, you know, after he decided he wouldn't kill him, he says, I'm... I will send an angel with you. I won't go personally. Leave now. Head on up. Let's get on with it, with the, uh, going into the promised land. And here's what picks up. Verse 7. Now Moses used to take the tent. Now we're not told what tent. It's probably so, it's a small personal tent of his. And pitch it outside the camp. A good distance from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And it came about that everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Now that term, tent of meeting, would later on be applied to the tabernacle, which has not been built yet. That's that great tent house for God with the uh, table of bread and the lampstand and the laver outside and the altar in the courtyard. It becomes the really the, uh, the, the, the dwelling of the king of Israel, the Lord himself who dwells among them. That's not what we're talking about. We're just talking about a prayer tent. Some place where he can go to pray. And he pitches it outside the camp and it says everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting which was outside the camp. Now there's a group of people that that everyone includes that I don't think you probably knew. I certainly didn't know. We're there. Hold on to chapter 33 and flip over to chapter 38, verse 8. I'm going to show you a little surprise. Here we're just, we have a description of the making of the various articles for the tabernacle. Now, if you don't know what the tabernacle is, I will be explaining it. And I'm, I, if I, I have a video thing, I may show you a clip of it so you can see what we're talking about and get a picture of this in your mind. But uh, let that aside. But one of the things and the, in the tabernacle courtyard is a great bronze laver, which held, was a big bronze bowl of water. And the priests would wash their hands and their feet before they would enter in to the court of the, of the tent, the tabernacle. They would wash there. It was a sign of repentance, of cleansing off the sins of the day and preparing their heart to meet the Lord. And it's describing the making of it as a really remarkable statement made here. It says, moreover, he made the laver of bronze with its base of bronze from the mirrors of the serving women who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Now, this isn't talking about the tabernacle tent of meeting. It's talking about this little one. The other one doesn't exist yet. 
Now the words in the Hebrew, the, the translation doesn't do it justice, but it's a, very, it's, a, it's a very odd Hebrew word. The word literally means hosts. It's a military term, meaning ranks like of soldiers, great masses of soldiers. If you've seen uh, Fellowship of the Rings or something, and you see these great ranks of people, that's hosts. And so you speak of God, and the, the word is used, the Lord of hosts. Or it speaks of the hosts of heaven, meaning just like, a, like this army of stars. When Israel went out of Egypt, it's said that they went out by their ranks or their hosts. I think mine says in martial array. I mean, but it, the, the point is, like armies in lines going out. Now, so the word here talks about women, hosts of women, as, as though it were an army of women. And this word serving isn't just like waiting or on the thing. The word serving is a warfare term. That word is used of the Levites as they, as they do the, the priestly work of the, of the tabernacle. Even then it's odd. It's as though the Levites are doing warfare in their serving of the Lord. So what an interesting picture. You have women, great ranks of women, doing some sort of warfare outside this tent. Even in that time of Israel's trouble, there were great numbers of women who came to pray and intercede for their nation, like army of them. And it says that Moses took their mirrors, their bronze mirrors, and it was this group of holy praying women that he took their mirrors and melted them down to make the bronze labor. It wasn't just all the mirrors of women. He took this group of praying women, he took their mirrors and melted them down to make the bronze laver that would stand outside the very doorway of the tabernacle. God give us women like that. Women of passion, women of, of, of faith who would fight and intercede for their nation, for their families. I didn't even know those women were there. This host of women that were outside. It says everyone who would come to seek the Lord and pray. Back to chapter 33. Everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. And it came about, verse 8, whenever Moses went out to the tent, that all the people would arise and stand, each at the entrance of his tent, and gaze after Moses until he entered the tent. Moses would begin, to, would just walk out on a regular basis to have his prayer time. The tent was located somewhere out on the boundary of, of, where, of, of the periphery of the, of the camp. It's far enough out for solitude, but not so far away that they couldn't see the tent from, from the camp. Two million people are camped. It's a big camp. And he would walk out to this, on this barren landscape, and it's a moonscape there. This, the plain around Sinai is just, a, a, just rocks and dirt and a few little sagebrush kind of thing. It's a very barren thing. So way out there's this little tent. And he would walk out of camp and head to prayer. 
And as he did, the people would all arise expectantly because they know they're going to see something very supernatural, something very remarkable. Verse 9, whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent and the Lord would speak with Moses. So picture this out on the kind of horizon, this little tent, and this man just, all you see is a little figure of a man out there. And as he heads into the tent, the great cloud comes over and it shifts and it drops down till it stands right in front of the doorway of that little tiny tent on the horizon. Moses has gone to prayer. And look what it does to the hearts of the people as they see this sight. And all the people would, mine says would arise, which is silly because the Hebrew says would kneel. They knelt down, put their head to the ground, and worshipped in awe. Isn't it interesting that that cloud and fire has been on the mountain all along and it doesn't stir them to this kind of worship? In fact, while it's things up there boiling away, um, they have an orgy in front of this golden calf. But there is something about that cloud coming and meeting one man in prayer that stirs something inside of people. Isn't there a hunger in all of us, a longing in every heart for fellowship with God? There is something beautiful about the glory of God on one person. Seeing the love of God and the presence of God coming. Seeing God answer a man or a woman's prayers. Seeing that intimate relationship moves us like no display of power moves us. The whole nation would stand and watch this. And I think their hearts just stirred for longing. Because we're all made for him, aren't we? There's a God-shaped hole in every one of us. And nothing but he will fill it. No amount of money, no amount of titles at work, no amount of achievement or conquests will fill that hole. We all long for God. I had a young man say, I've, one of the things he, he was saying, I'm Lord, I'm laying down my longing for a wife and I know that, I, that you must be the thing that fulfills my heart. I said, if you let the Lord fulfill that, then, then you will be able to love a wife properly. I said, but if you don't let the Lord fulfill that and you expect a woman to fulfill that, you will just ruin her. For no woman can do that. There is no such woman that can fulfill the deep longings of your heart like that. Not in that area. So the glory of God would descend to speak with Moses and it stirred. These people are fundamentally unbelievers. I mean, they're, they're, they're functional pagans. They just have a godly leader. <laughs> They've just had this mutiny and an orgy around a golden calf. And yet when they see the glory of God on somebody like that, they bow their feet, bow their knees, and bow their head to the earth. I believe the world is waiting to see a people with the glory of the Holy Spirit upon them. That's what the world's waiting for. They're not waiting to see bigger buildings. They're not waiting to see people who, ha who are proud of themselves and have their doctrine in order, people who feel they're righteous and better than everybody else. That is not what the world's waiting to see. 
But when they see people who love one another, who have an intimate relationship with God, who really know God. I heard Yang Yi Cho. Do you know who Paul Yang Yi Cho is? He's the pastor of uh, the largest church in church history in Seoul, Korea. Nothing's even close to it. Uh, what is he, a million people or something? It's outrageous. And he, I mean, they come to church. And Paul Young Cho said, I could plant a church anywhere in the world. And he said, do you know why? He says, because I know God and people all over the world long to know God. It's true. It's true. We long to know God like this. To meet him and talk with him. We long to have him in our lives. Not some, just some fearsome judge on a throne. We long to know him. And here, when this cloud came and stood at the front of that tiny little tent as that man went into it, it just broke their hearts. Verse 11. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. Was this audible conversation? Did the Lord audibly speak to Moses? I don't know. At one point we know he did from the, from the burning bush on Mount Sinai. He said, Moses, Moses, and, and he stopped him in his tracks. That was audible. Whether this is audible or not, it really doesn't matter. It's direct two-way communication. There is a conversation, a free-flowing conversation going on between the Lord and Moses. Moses can ask questions. Moses can respond. God will answer. There's, there's a, there's a two-way conversation as a friend to a friend. Truly, he's a friend of God. How many of you at some point in your life have had moments when you were conversing with the Lord and he was responding and talking to you just as one person talks to another? You've had such moments in your life. Raise your hand. Most of us. Is there anything sweeter in the world? I mean, there's all of a sudden like, oh. I went through a season uh, about a year and a half ago, which was very, very painful, and I went out to, for a prayer retreat over to Leavenworth, and, and at one point in the middle of that, I, it, literally, I'm sitting in a chair by myself in this living room, and the Lord was, I knew where he was sitting, I mean, it, I, it wasn't like he was sort of, you know, around. He was right there. And I could ask him, and he, would, he was talking to me and answering, and I'm taking notes. I'm taking notes on what I'm being told to do on a whole bunch of very difficult situations, one right after another. I was given bullet points. I mean, this, this, this. I'm just writing out as he, as he instructs me. And I just obeyed right down the line. I just did what he told me to do and walked me through a very painful season. And boy, was he right. Those moments of conversation like that are fabulous. And think of this. Moses would have these conversations regularly for, for the next 38 years. That's why you have the book of Genesis. Do you ever wonder how we know how God created the heavens and earth? We weren't there. These two talk. And over the course of 38 years, Moses wrote it down. Moses wrote down what he was told. And the beautiful description of the whole prehistory and everything else. God said, here's how I did it. Here's what it looked like. I said, let there be light. And boom, there it was. 
Her. In Deuteronomy 34, verse 10, it says, this is, this is statements made about Moses at his death. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Two friends. You know who was in that cloud? It's the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. It's the Logos. The one through whom the word has always been spoken to this earth. He is a friend of God. John chapter 15, verse 14 to 15. Jesus says this, You are my friends if, and you finish it, you do what I tell you to do. You do what I command you. Here's what marks. I want you to see something. He's called a friend of God. Do you see that there? He's a friend of God. What is Mark's a friend of God? A friend of God is someone who obeys what they hear. It's not just a matter of, you, you do what I tell you, I'll like you. So that's not what he's going. There's some, when you obey what God gives you, God gives you more. When you disobey or ignore what God gives you, the communication dries up, doesn't it? There's not a mystery to this process. It still happens. And here is a man who is doing what the Lord has told him to do. And thus the conversation is going deeper and deeper and more and more intimate until God is just talking to him as one friend to another. Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. And then listen to the Lord goes on and explains further. No longer do I call you slaves for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. A mark of friendship with God is that he will reveal to you the deep things of God. He will talk to you. I think it was about a year ago. Time, I, I don't track time well. But the Lord kept giving me this verse. To him who has shall more be given. And I always took it as one of those prosperity verses. And I thought, whatever. You know, I. And I, it doesn't move my heart. I'm sorry. It just never has been the thing. And, and uh, like, okay, what, what do you mean? And anybody kept giving it. And I'd open the Bible and there it would be. And several places in the New Testament. It's not just one. And uh, to him who has shall more be given. And it goes on and says, And him who has not, even what he has shall be taken away. And uh, I thought, why do you keep saying this to me? I do not understand. And then in Matthew 13, he, he, it explains it really. And he opened my eyes to it. And the Lord says, was saying to me, Stephen, I'm calling you my friend. To him who has understanding... And obeys. I will give more revelation and understanding. I, want, I will teach you my word. I will show you an answer. And I will explain things to you. As you will walk in obedience with me. To him who has shall more be given. Expect to learn more from me. The world offers a bunch of stuff. But so does God. But the most precious thing God offers us is not stuff. The most precious thing God offers us is himself. 
Do you hunger for more of God? Do you love God? Do you want to be closer to him? Do you want him with you? Do you love the, the sense of his anointing and presence upon you? Does your heart melt when you're close to him? That's the greatest thing he brings us. And you will find there are men and women who long for him. Abraham and Sarah were such people. Do you know they were enormously wealthy? They had a huge herd. He just got more wealthy all the time. And the Bible says he could care less. It does. It says Abraham's heart, he longed for eternal life with the Lord. Yes, he was a steward of his household. He handled it. He didn't care. He'd already seen the shortness of life. He understood. And what he said is he wanted a city made without hands. He wanted to dwell there with God. He was hungry for God. He was a friend of God. People, we're being called to become friends of God, to love him, not just get ourselves saved. This isn't about just getting your hide into heaven. It isn't. That is so shallow. Nor is it about simply helping you prosper in your work and have a successful marriage. I mean, we'd all like good marriages. I'm not putting that down. But it isn't about principles so you can prosper and love the world all the more. Because we're going to bury you. We are. You're going to bury me. There'll be a moment where I have my last breath. I want to step right into the presence of the Lord. Amen. This life has so much meaning. When you get a hold of this, life becomes precious to you. Every day you want that you might serve him, that the love of God may flow through you, that you might draw close to him. Life becomes so vital. Look at the second part of verse 11. When Moses returned to the camp, now this is, he's, been, he's been out in the tent praying, the clouds out front, the, 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 the door. His servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. I believe that verse tells us more about Joshua than any other verse in the Bible, that, that we now know who this man is. He's out there, as, as Moses' assistant. And as that, cloud, that Shekinah glory fills that little tent. As, and this, I don't know if he can hear the conversation that's going on between God and Moses or not. But boy, he can feel the presence. And there he is laying belly down, face down in the, before the Lord. Just in the glory of God. And Moses leaves and he, he's just not going to leave. He's drinking in every moment of that presence of God Do you, have you been in the anointing of the Holy Spirit so strongly that it's like time is suspended do you know what that is you've been there where his where the Lord is so close and so precious upon you 
All of fear goes away. All the worry goes away. The low self-esteem melts away. And you just, you're sitting there just feeling absolutely whole and deeply loved just the way you are. I mean, it's no, no nonsense. You're just loved and God is there and you feel his power. He's got it handled. And like a child in your parents' arms, you find your little worried heart rests. How many know what I'm talking about? Is there, this to me is, I believe we are actually, I, my belief, we are actually in a moment of eternity. I think we step into that only far more intensely so. It would kill us if we were in it now. We step into that and that is what eternal life will be for us. That presence of God like that. I've been times when just don't touch me. Don't talk to me. Leave me alone. <sighs> And there's Joshua face down. He's just lying there loving the presence of God. Numbers 27, 18 comments on Joshua. It says, So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, no kidding, and lay your hand on him. We now we know why Joshua was the next leader. It's not because he was smarter or faster with his sword or something than anyone else. This man loves the Lord and has been sitting for hours in the anointing. Deuteronomy 34 9 says, Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. But Moses had laid his hands on him because he was full of the spirit. And the sons of Israel listened to Joshua and did as the Lord commanded. People, if you want wisdom, if you want authority, I'll tell you where it comes from. It doesn't come from being pushy. It doesn't come from being manipulative and sneaky. People hate you when you do that. They may not tell you, but they do. Real authority People follow people who are full of the Holy Spirit. When you are in the Lord's prayer, wisdom does not come from book learning. Wisdom doesn't come from believing in yourself. Wisdom comes from being in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Brothers, that's where your authority is to come from. Not your physical strength. Not your shrewdness. If you will be a man full of the Holy Spirit, God will give you a wisdom and a compassion. And your family, those you work with, on and on, will be pleased to follow you. There is simply something in a person like that that people follow. One of the sisters uh, shared with me last week she was on jury duty, and uh, this was a murder case, apparently, and, and, and she said the oddest thing, we, when we, they put it the jury and sequester us, she said, I would share stuff, and everybody was listening, and they kept turning to me, what do you think, you know? And I said, I, I, I could hardly understand it. Well, I can tell you the mystery. The woman's full of the Holy Spirit. 
There's a godly wisdom that goes beyond normal human reasonings. There's, and, and even unbelievers who don't even know what's going on sense this. This is where authority and wisdom comes from. Men often think, oh, that religion stuff, it's for women, you know, emotional. I'm going to do something important like pull weeds and watch basketball. And in doing so, literally forfeit the authority of their family. And hand it over to their wife. Literally force it upon her. For if she's going on with God, the authority's on her. The men of this church, we need to be like Joshua and Moses. And the women of this church need to be those, like those ranks of praying godly women. And when we have people like that, the cloud of glory comes over that people and the world sees it and they begin to hunger for what you have. That's how the Lord intends to build his church. Let's look at his prayer. Verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, Behold, you say to me, bring this people up. Take, take Israel up into uh, to the promised land now. But you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Well, God said he'd send an angel with you. What do you want? The name of the angel? The serial number? I mean, what are we, where are we going with this? This is almost a child whining. Moses is hurt. This is very emotional right now is what I think you're hearing. Moses is saying, I don't want a dumb angel. I want you. He's been, he's, he, he knows this Lord. The idea that the cloud would leave and the, and, the, and the pillar of fire by night, that the glory would no longer be there, that they have an angel. Do you notice this man? He says, I don't want just protection and guidance. I want you. I don't want a promised land if you're not there. Just leave us here. You wouldn't tell me who, would, who, would go, who you would send with me. And moreover, and now he starts really arguing with God. And he says, you've said, you told me, I have known you by name. That means I've called you by name. Moses is saying, I am, a, I am serving you because it's your idea. I was herding my sheep, minding my own business, and the bush was talking to me. <laughs> I'm doing this because you said to do this. You've called me by name, and then he says, and you have also, you have also said, I, you have found favor. The word favor is in the Greek, pardon me, in the Hebrew is hen. It is grace. What you have in Genesis 6, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. It means the Lord is pleased with him. He leads a, a, a fundamentally righteous life, and the Lord is choosing to bless him. By the way, when the angel shows up with Mary and is about to announce that she's to conceive the Son of God, he says, Hail, favored one. Same thing. You've pleased the Lord. He said, You told me I please you and that your grace is upon me. Here then is the blessing I want from you. 
Now therefore I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may what? Read it out loud. I may know you. Moses says, what I want is more of you. That I may find favor in your sight, that I may know you round and around. I want to learn how to know you more. I want you to be, and I want you to be, in the next phrase, consider too that this nation is Ami. The word Ami means my people in Hebrew, and it is, refers to the covenant people, people God, the people within covenant with God whom he loves. There's other terms in Hebrew for people in general. But Ami is only used when he says my people, his covenant people. Consider too that this people is Ami. By the way, our, our uh, women's, woman's name, Amy, means is simply that word. That this nation is Ami, your people, my people. And he said, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. Now that looks like God is caving in, doesn't it? But then Moses quickly replies and says, if it doesn't, don't lead us up. Now you think, well, Moses, relax. He just said he'd do it. Oh, if you knew Hebrew, you'd know why Moses was ticked. God says, my presence, literally my face, will go with you, singular, Moses. I'll go with you, not with them. If I hang around them, I'm going to kill them. He says that. My presence will, my, my, they are so unrighteous, so unclean, that if my holiness is there, they're going to die. So Moses, I'll go with you. And then Moses, as, as, as the true pastor, responds, verse 15. And he says, if your presence does not go with who? Yeah, with us. No, no, not me. With us. Don't leave us up from here. I'm not going if it's just me. You must bring all of us and stay with all of us or I stay here. Now, I mean, this is pretty tough stuff, huh? He's bargaining with God. He's, he's contending. And the Lord loves it. Doesn't he? He loves this kind of argument. Here's Jacob wrestling with him, you know, thinking he's going to throw him to the ground. <laughs> you know, and God's putting up with this. And, and, but Jacob says, I won't let you go if you don't bless me. And God's going, oh, please let me go. <laughs> Yeah. You got me, you got me. Oh, oh. <laughs> the Lord loves it when you get feisty and out of love and faith. And that's what's going on here. This isn't, this isn't self-love and greed. This is love and faith. And he's contending with him. He says, if you don't take all of us, leave me here. Verse 17. The Lord... Oh, pardon me, verse 16. For how then can it be known if I have found favor in your sight, grace, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us that I, we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are on the face of the earth? Your presence is the only thing that makes us different from unbelievers. It's not our religion it's nothing else. And people, that's still true. The only difference between us and the rest of the world is the Holy Spirit's anointing upon us. 
And if we don't have that, if all we have is good church, we're just one more club. One more affinity group. But when the glory of God is upon us, when the cloud and the pillar of fire attend us, we're not one more group. And the whole world knows it. And they're drawn to our God. Verse 17, the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you've spoken. You win. For you have found favor in my sight and I have known your name. Moses, because I love you and you have answered my call, I did get you into this. I will do as you ask. Verse 18. Then Moses said, I pray you. Read it out loud. Show me your glory. What he's not saying is I'm curious and I want to peek at you. This is a man who's been on the mountain. This is a man when he prays, the cloud comes outside the door. He's saying, and I love you. And I want to see you more clearly. I want to see you. There's a strange thing about God. The more you have of him, the more you want. The more Moses saw him, the more he longed to be with him. How about us today? Can we refuse to serve God without the anointing of his presence? Say, Lord, if you don't go with us, we'll not go up from here. We must have your anointing. We must have your presence. Are you willing to pay the price to have the anointing of God? Not everybody is. There's a fundamental righteousness that must be in our life. You cannot be a phony. Not for the anointing. You can play religious games, but you can't have the anointing. There has to be an answering of the call. He says, you've called me by name. Moses responded to the call of God on his life. Have you responded to the call of God on your life? Some people make a, make a lifestyle of saying no and a feeling like they've somehow won something. They're not foolish and like some religious zealot, you know, some Jesus freak or whatever you, they like to use. They've, they've stayed reasonable and held on to their life and kept their comfort and focused on themselves and lost the anointing. Moses responded. To the call of God on his life. He said you've called me by name. And I've come. Are we willing to pay the price? And to make provision to spend time with the Lord. Do you notice that this great man. Followed the call. Had fundamental righteousness. But had a prayer tent outside that camp. That he visited regularly. And spent serious time in prayer. Ranks of women. Prayed and sought God there. Joshua lay on his belly for hours in the presence of God. These people sought God. Are we willing to pay the price? To say, Lord, I will not serve you without your anointing. I want more of you. And can we as a church say, Lord, we will not move forward. We'll not move an inch. Except your glory goes with us. 
do we want to be a church in which the power of the Holy Spirit is manifestly present? Nobody, but it, that is a culmination of us as individuals. You and I all must make these decisions. We as a family make this choice. And then his presence comes on us. No group of leaders can do it for us. We must decide. Would you bow your heads with me? Holy Spirit. Lord, we today would ask you to put a, a deep hunger in us for more of you. We would say with Moses, show us your glory. We want more, Lord. We want your power and presence. Holy Spirit, we want you to move freely upon us. We want your gifts. We want your love. We want your comfort. We want your counsel. We need you. We need you in our family. We need you in our marriages. We need you as we raise our children. We need you in our business life. And Lord, we sure need you as a spiritual family at church. Come, Holy Spirit. Whatever has to be cleansed, clean it. Whatever has to be changed, change it. Whatever you need to do in me or any of us, do it. But we say today, we pledge today, our Father, if you do not go with us, we will not go up from here. We go no further without your Holy Spirit doing that mighty work. Blessed be the Lord. And we thank you for your promise to us. So we open ourselves afresh today and say, Come, Lord, give us a heart that longs for more of you. Who today needs to say, I have possibly not followed the call. I've put it aside, but today I'll change. Who today would say, I have not been walking in a righteousness that I know I should. But I pledge today, I long for his glory more than any of the pleasures or riches of this world. Who today would say, Lord God, I will wrestle with you like Jacob and Moses. I must have anointing. I don't want just religion. I don't want to just get my hide into heaven. I need anointing. I need the power of God in my life. And I will not let go until you give it to me. Some of us today need to make a stand. And would you, if you're one of those, just stand to your feet right now. Just as a pledge of saying, I am standing on the promises of God. I will not go another step. I deeply determine. Now be careful. This is a very sacred pledge. Uh, if you ask for it, you can get it. And if you don't want it, you won't like it. I'm serious. If you, if you don't have the, the stuff for this, you won't like it at all. If you have a hunger for God, it's the sweetest honey in the world. But if you don't really want God, it's a bitter pill. You do not want to stand. Come Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, sweep right now. Just move. Thank you, Jesus. Blessed be the living God. Blessed be the living God. Thank you, our Father. Praise you, Jesus. Just tell him in your own words, Lord, I'm hungry for you. I will not go up without you. You speak it to him. Those of you standing, 
Just speak it to him. Lord, I will not go further without your anointing. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Praise you, Jesus. Blessed be our Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Picture in my mind right now of somebody hanging on to like a box or something. They're just holding on to this thing, clutching it to their chest. And the Lord says, if you will open your arms and let go of that, I will fill your arms with true treasure. But you must determine to let go of something. I don't, it's, I don't have any sense of what's in the box. But it's like you have something you're hanging on to and you've hung on too hard. And the Lord says, it's not true treasure. Let it go. But he can't put in your arms true treasure. He can't put what you are longing for, really, into your arms until you let go. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray right now that any one of us, whatever would hold us back, in the name of the Lord, you would cause that thing that's of the, of, of, of the world to just grow dust in our mouth, to lose its attraction, to be seen for what it is, passing dust, and put a hunger in us, O oh Father, for true treasure. A longing for the anointing. A longing to serve our God. A longing to walk in the call that's upon us. Come, Lord, and just break the lie. Remove it. Spirit of God, I ask for revelation and for discernment of spirit right now. And Lord, for each one standing, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we stand in agreement with you that as you wrestle with the Lord, may the Lord give you the desire of your heart. May the Lord bless you with an abundance of his anointing. May his power and hand be on you, on your marriage, on your singleness. May the Lord grace you in your, with raising your children. May the Lord grace you as you step forward. May the Lord's presence go with you and lead you and anoint you in all that you do. And may he teach you his ways that you may have more of God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. If you agree with that and it is your prayer, would you say amen? Amen. amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.